Welcome to Pathways, the podcast by Grenadian STEAM. Here, we dive into the journey of Grenadians and West Indian professionals navigating their careers in the STEAM fields, both at home and in the diaspora. We discuss their failures, their successes, and their moments of learning with the goal of exposing interested listeners to the depth and wonder that is a career in STEAM. I'm your host and president of Grenstein, Arlene Hayes. Join us. Press that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss a new episode. Shabaka Edward is a born and bred St. Lucian native. After completing her associate's degree and teaching at her alma mater, the Viewfort Comprehensive Secondary School, for three years, she left to pursue a bachelor's degree in physics in Chicago. She then transitioned into the field of medical physics, working for two years in the radiation oncology department at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. She then moved on to pursue a PhD in medical physics at the MD Anderson UT Health Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences in Houston, Texas, where she's now entering her fifth year. Shabaka considers herself a foodie and loves to travel. She hopes to someday be a full-time world traveler, sampling cuisines from around the globe. We hope you enjoy today's chat, and if you do, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review, or drop us a note on social media and let us know what you want to hear more of. Hey Shabaka, and welcome to Pathways. Hi Arlene, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, of course. All right, so we're going to jump right into it, get started by introducing you to the people a little bit, let them know a little bit of who you are and where you come from. So you are originally from St. Lucia. Mm -hmm. Where in St. Lucia did you grow up? So I was born and raised in Beaufort, St. Lucia. It's the southernmost town in St. Lucia. I was born there. I went to infant school, secondary school. And then for A-level, I left to go to the north for a bit. But Beaufort is my home. Okay, nice. And what was it like growing up? What were your student years? Uh, primary school, if you remember, secondary school. What kind of a student were you? Oh, I remember. I remember. <laughs> so I was always the quiet, I guess you would say the model student. Mm. I was very, very quiet and shy. And I just focused on my school, on my books, on learning, always sit out in front of the class, never gave any trouble. I think I only got in trouble once and that was for not having a textbook. that's the only time I got licks in school for not having a textbook and it wasn't just me it was a bunch of us yeah but yeah I was always just trying to do my best in school I just wanted to always get A's study Mm -hmm. (laughs) typical I guess you'd say boring studious that was me goody two shoes (laughs) all of it that was me yeah um you think that's just like how you were or was it kind of expectations family life I think it was a mix of both because a lot of it had to do with expectations you know I wanted to make my parents proud I wanted to make my teachers proud and but also I think it was just who I am I'm naturally an introvert Mm -hmm. and uh, I also have that 
self-motivation. So it wasn't, yeah, I wanted to make everyone proud, but also I wanted to, I guess, make myself proud and do the best that I could always give a hundred percent. But yeah, I think it was a mixture of environment and me because mm-hmm. my siblings, they were studious as well, but they were not as quiet as me at right. all. <laughs> my sister, ooh, the opposite. That child, mm-mm. <laughs> But she okay. still, you know, was able to do well in school, but she just wasn't as quiet as me. Right. That's just why. Two I'm sides of the coin. Yeah. Yeah. All right. As you got into primary school and started to grow up, you know, and then having to consider what you're going to do next, what was going on in your mind? Like, what what's, um, courses did you do for CXC? And then what did you do after secondary school? Okay. So growing up, I'm trying to remember back in primary school and all of that. What did I want to be? I don't think I had a career path in mind yet that early. Mm. I just knew I wanted to do something that would allow me to live a comfortable life. Very comfortable, you know? (laughs) I didn't want to ever have to say, well, I can't get this because I can't afford it. Or I can't do this because I can't afford it. So I was always aiming high. I always knew I wanted to live a very comfortable life. I remember when I was young, I was telling my mother that um, I'm going to have a maid when I grow up. That was my dream. (laughs) And it's still my dream. I I will get my maid one day. (laughs) But yeah, I just, that's always just what I aspired for, you know, that very comfortable life, not Mm -hmm. living paycheck to paycheck or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And so I remember the earliest memory of Picking a career was when I said I wanted to be a lawyer. And the reason behind that was um, when I was about 10 or 11, my parents were building our house, my childhood home. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember they had to hire a lawyer to get the document signed, you know, all of that legal stuff that goes along with that. And I remember my father telling me he had to pay thousands of dollars just for a lawyer to sign a piece of paper. And I was like, wait, what? Okay, I'm going to be a lawyer because of that. That's how you <laughs> get that was, made. <laughs> right? But that was just temporary. That wasn't anything I was passionate about or anything like that. And then um, further along in secondary school, I think I started getting interested in medicine. But then shortly after, I realized I cannot take the side of blood. I cannot. <laughs> there is no way I could survive in that field. And so at that point, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I ended up doing science subjects. So mm-hmm. in secondary school, when we went from three is when we start deciding what subjects to pick. Right. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So the teachers in charge of the different departments, like science, language, technical, etc., they were making their rounds to the form three classes to kind of advertise their program to us, tell us why we should pick language arts or why we should pick sciences, why we should pick business. And I remember the science teacher, he was a Guyanese teacher named Mr. Ramdahin. <laughs> Big up <laughs> Mr. Ramdahin if you're listening. But he came to our, um, our class and I remember him laying out the options for us on the chalkboard. So his logic was, if you pick sciences for CXC and then you change your mind and you're like you know what I want to do accounting uh-huh. then you could switch to business subjects in A-level and then do that at 
um, university as well. And also if you pick science for CXE and then pick science for A-level and you decide, okay, I don't want to do science anymore, you could switch and go get a bachelor's degree in business or whatever at university. Right. But if you do the opposite, if you do business for CXE, you can't just switch and do science. It's a harder transition to go that way. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, wow, okay, so that way I can keep my options open. So I'm doing science. That was why <laughs> I did science because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I just wanted to keep my options open. Because at that point, I honestly was interested in the sciences and in business. And I just really didn't know which direction to go. So yeah. I went the direction to keep my options open. <laughs> so I ended up doing science for CXE that way. Okay. And then in A-level, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So I ended up doing science again. Did you do all of them? I, I actually in human and CXE or at A level. So at A level, we typically pick three subjects. So I did um, chemistry, physics, and math. I loved math, by the way. I forgot to mention that throughout my schooling, yeah. from the beginning to the end, I loved math. Math was always just straightforward. To me, either it's right or it's wrong. Plus, my my dad was a math teacher and a math genius. Yeah, so okay. I think I inherited some of that. <laughs> all all three of me and my two siblings, all of us, math was it was mm. easy for us. We got it. I love math. Every time someone said they didn't like math, I was like, "What are you talking about? It's so easy." <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, I I so I did math, chemistry. Mm-hmm and physics i didn't do biology because i didn't even do bi- did i do biology for cxc i think i did i did but i didn't like it uh-huh. i didn't like it because um it was too much memorization i uh-huh. felt like i was just memorizing a bunch of definitions and terms that where is the science in that <laughs> <laughs> it was just so boring to me so i've I was heard out. this before I'm actually, I liked biology because I liked the processes, like the human processes, but mm-hmm. I hated plants. I plants. didn't, yeah, I didn't think I needed to learn about plants. I didn't like agricultural science. I, I didn't like the plant part of biology. And yeah. Because yeah. now I recently took an anatomy class and actually enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you. I do like the processes, but I just didn't like memorizing all that stuff. It's yeah. just a lot. <laughs> that's fair that's fair okay so in all this time you were saying that you you didn't really know what you wanted to do did that like fill you with anxiety did you feel pressure to figure it out or were you just doing what you liked surprisingly I did not feel any pressure and now that you asked me that that's the first time I've realized in my life Mm -hmm. that I did not feel any anxiety or pressure back then wow I wish I could be the same way right now. <laughs> I honestly, wow. I didn't take a moment to soak this yeah. in. Good I for had you. No anxiety. Wow. Okay, so then at what young again? Right. <laughs> at what point then did you actually start thinking about the future and deciding okay. what you're gonna do? So uh I remember in form five, I think, in my physics class, my physics teacher was, so we went through the entire term, first term, second term, and in the last term, because we call it terms, not semesters. Mm-hmm. So in the last term, um, he was teaching us, our, I think our last topic was radioactivity. 
and he took us to off campus. He took us off campus to a pool hall, billiards pool. Yeah. To show us radioactive decay with the ah, walls, you know? Yeah. And I found that fascinating. I could still picture it in my head right now. It was one of the best classes ever. And I just fell in love with that part of physics. Mm-hmm. And so sometime during A-level, I started trying to figure out how I could do physics, but then still incorporate medicine with it. Because like I said, I wanted to be a doctor at some point. Can't do the blood. I like physics. So I'm like, okay, how can I mix these two things? Right. I like some of this, some of that. How can I mix them to get something that I can do? And so I went online, started Googling, and I found the medical physics program page of Duke University. And I started looking through it, reading what what it was about, because I'd never heard of medical physics. I didn't know that was a thing. And so through reading that, I just started falling in love. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. This is it. I found it. (laughs) And so after A-level, now I kind of had a direction. Okay, I want to do medical physics. So now I need to figure out how to do that. Right. Yep. Okay. So what what came next? What was the next step? So from looking at that website, I saw that the first thing you need to get into that graduate program, because it was a master's and PhD program, you could do master's or PhD. Okay. So to get into that program, you need a bachelor's degree in physics. Mm. I was like, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm going to do, get a bachelor's degree in physics. (laughs) And from that point, my next immediate goal was, how do I get a bachelor's degree in physics? Where do I go? And... I always knew I wanted to go to the U.S., funny enough. I knew that from before the age of 12. Okay. Mm-hmm. I guess because I watched a lot of American TV. I don't yeah. Know. That's... <laughs> <laughs> but I always knew I wanted to go there. I wanted to live there. And I remember, uh, I'm just doing a slight time lapse backwards or whatever you call that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in Senate Fall ready to write common entrance. I remember my dad told me, I don't know how we made this deal, but he promised me a trip to the US if I could place in the top 10 yeah. on the island when I wrote common entrance. And I was like, really? Okay, say less. I'm getting it. <laughs> and so that fueled with my motivation to already, like I was already motivated to do well. Right. right? And then you promised me a trip to the States? Yeah, I'm doing this. (laughs) So I studied, studied and practiced questions. And then I absolutely killed it because I I came first on the whole island. Yes. (laughs) And then I remember that day when they gave us the news, everyone was jumping around and screaming. All the teachers were going crazy. Mm -hmm. And when they told me that I placed first, my only thought was, oh, now I get to go to the States. (laughs) I didn't even care about any of that. I, I was just like, okay, now I'm getting, I'm going to the States. And I went that same. So results came out in like June, July, or whenever they come out. Mm-hmm. And that December, I was in the States. I nice. did not want to wait for the next summer. I didn't want to wait. Mm-mm. I love to follow and I, through. <laughs> and I remember when the plane was landing. So I went to New York because that's where I had family. Mm-hmm. And when the plane was landing at JFK... I could just see the lights stretching out for miles. And I just felt like, this is home. I'm home. 
Wow. You know? Yeah. I can still remember that. That's crazy. I can still remember it. So I always knew I wanted to go to the States. And so now I needed to get a bachelor's degree. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the States to get my degree. So I took the SATs in St. Lucia. I took it twice so that I could up my score the second time to improve my chances of getting a scholarship. Mm-hmm. And then I started applying to a bunch of schools. I applied to so many schools. I got into a bunch of them. I got some scholarships, but the scholarship that I was looking for was a full scholarship. So I wouldn't have to pay anything. I didn't right. want to have to take a loan, which I ironically had to do anyway. <laughs> but I so I kept searching and searching. I just couldn't find the right one to give me a full scholarship. And so I decided, okay, maybe I'll just go to UE because it's cheaper to get, take a loan to go to UE. Mm-hmm. So I think my dad and I went to the bank, spoke with the loans officer who were already starting that process of, can I get this loan to go to UE? And then Dr. Mark came to St. Lucia, IIT. One month later, I was in Chicago with all the other St. Lucians. I know people have probably heard the backstory on this. So Yeah, and I'll probably share it as well on our blog just for some more background so I was part of that first cohort at IIT right and I ended up in the U.S. so wait was all of this straight out of A-level oh no so after A-level I taught for three years I taught at my alma mater before comprehensive secondary school I taught math of all things (laughs) my favorite yeah so I taught for three years Mm -hmm. was that just to buy yourself some time? Was it because you liked teaching or? (laughs) 100% just to do something in the meantime. Because, Mm -hmm. so I remember when I graduated from A-level, I didn't want to teach. That was the last thing I wanted to do. I remember my aunt was the principal of of my secondary school. Mm -hmm. And she said, we need a math teacher, come teach. Like, no, no, thank you. I'm good. I don't want to know. <laughs> that wasn't for me, girl. I did not want to teach. And I'm already an introvert. You right. want me to go stand in front of 30 students and teach? <laughs> so I said, no, I'm going to find another job. I, I applied to labs. I applied to other places. Nothing. After about a month and a half of staying home, I felt mm-hmm. useless. <laughs> I felt like my life was... Oh, I had never felt that <laughs> ever before. And it was, I just felt so useless. I felt like I needed to do something with myself. Right. So I called her and I was like, do you still need a math teacher? And they still did. So the rest is history. <laughs> I went. Now I will say, I don't want to be a teacher again, mm-hmm. but I fully appreciate those three years because they really helped me develop as an individual. Mm. I was so afraid of public speaking, but that made, it forced me to go and speak and not only speak, but command the attention of everyone, keep everyone quiet and relay information to them in a way that they can understand. It was a lot. Yeah. But it really, really helped me. And I'm so grateful for that, that opportunity. Yeah. It helped me to grow a lot. I, I am imagine. so far from where I was. <laughs> yeah look at that see everything happens for a reason you know that's what you needed I needed it I really did (laughs) (laughs) okay so now we're on a plane we're going to Chicago uh for your physics degree 
what was that transition like? Um, and then just like talk us through the degree a little bit. Was it exactly what you expected or was it more? Was it less? <laughs> okay. So first off, I was the only St. Lucian who did physics. Mm. Every time I told somebody I did physics, they're like, physics? <laughs> Everybody hated their physics class. And here I am doing physics after physics every semester but the transition I would say it wasn't easy for me so when we come from a level we come with um credits already because Uh of the classes we take at a level so they waived I think physics one two three for me and what they expected that I learned in physics one, two, and three, I did not learn at A level. And so some of the things in the higher level physics courses were Greek to me. And wow. I mean, it's physics and it, oh. <laughs> it was difficult. Yeah. And I felt like if I could go back, I wouldn't, I would take physics one, two, and three. Maybe right. as a refresher, maybe to it was just different. That's what I, I was like, going to ask. Did you have that option or did you even look into it? I I don't think I, I even considered that. I, I didn't mm. consider that. I guess it was an oversight on my part as well. I just did not even think, hey, yeah. you might need what's in physics one, two, and three. Right. I didn't think of it. I just thought, oh, easy. Okay, yeah. Wave, <laughs> wave. You want to wave everything, right? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was not an easy transition. And then being alone doing physics, I, I could see my colleagues, the other St. Oceans, they would have their, their little chemistry, not chemistry, um, chemical engineering crew, the mm-hmm. civil engineering crew, the electrical engineering crew, and they would all go to classes together and do their homework together and study together. And I was just alone. And that's another mistake I made. Instead of trying to do it alone because I didn't have any other same notions, I should have sought out other physics students. Although mm-hmm. my class was like nine people, I should have tried to form my little study group or get help. Yeah, I think help is the operative word here. I just felt like I could do it alone because I'd been doing it alone from primary school, secondary school, A-level, you know. I was always on top of everything, but this was a whole other ballgame and I thought I could do it alone as well and I couldn't so it was tough it was a struggle yeah <laughs> it was a struggle heels of an introvert I'm yeah I'm with you you yeah. got through it I did um. <laughs> <laughs> by the hair of my chin 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 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so in that time because you went in thinking medical physics that's what I'm gonna do mm-hmm. was there I imagine that you then kind of got exposed to a lot more because I see physics as a pretty broad degree. Were there any other career options that came up and you were, you know, tempted to go another direction? No. The simple answer (laughs) is no. Um, Okay. So a lot of the, I guess a lot of the career opportunities were either in academia, which I didn't want to pursue I didn't really want to be a professor mm-hmm. and another popular area was government jobs like NASA aerospace you know right. that type of stuff I remember being at 
one of the many NSB conferences, the career fairs. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to someone from some, I think it was maybe the Air Force or NASA or something where you needed the highest level of clearance to get a job. And because we're international students, we could not even get hired by them. They don't sponsor work visas. Right. So that was just, it just ruled out a whole bunch of options for me. So yeah, medical physics, I guess was, medical physics was still at the back of my mind but it started to become more fleeting like maybe I can't get there and at one point I feel like I, I actually gave up on it really Do you want me to expand on that now yes, or? Please. okay <laughs> <laughs> so at IIT there's the co-terminal degree program and mm-hmm. I opted to do that but it wasn't in medical physics it was in health physics so the difference between so medical physics, let me explain quickly what medical physics is. and then what yeah. So medical physics deals mainly with um, radiation treatment, with cancer, cancer th- um, radiation therapy, cancer care. And so that's the therapy side of medical physics. And the imaging side deals with MRIs, CT scans, PET scans, and those things. So what we do as medical physicists is more of the technical aspects with the machines. We calibrate the machines, make sure they're given the right dose of radiation, make sure they're, make sure we're protecting the patients. So we essentially work in hospitals with doctors, but more on the technical side of things. Okay. Now health physics is more about protection. So at every hospital, you have the medical physicists who work with the patients, but then you have health physicists who kind of see about the health of the staff and the facilities. So it's like making sure radiation is properly stored. And I don't even know the other aspects of their job, but it's more along like occupational health. Okay. Occupational health kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So health physics is more about occupational health. And um, medical physics is more about patient care. So it's more, yeah, you're more, you're close, you work closer with, doctors, physicians, when you're in medical physics. So medical physics was what I wanted because remember, I wanted to be a doctor and I wanted to fuse medicine and physics. So that was medical physics. But since IIT offered health physics, I was like, you know what? I'm already here. I could just slide into this code terminal degree. One extra year, I get a master's in health physics because I don't know if I could even get into a PhD program in medical physics. I, I had given up on that. I was like... There's no way that that would work out. So let me just take the safe route, you know, Uh instead of leaving and then failing. I was scared to fail, you know? Yeah. I was like, let me take the safe route. And so I entered the co-terminal degree program in health physics. But then that was another struggle in and of itself. (laughs) Because one, I did not like, that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't like um, health physics. I didn't like Mm -hmm. it. It was just a whole bunch of... um, What's those those documents like CFR 10.2, the codes, oh. those things, you have to learn the different like occupational health. Like codes laws and, and policies. policies. And, yes. Mm. <laughs> Not my thing. <laughs> but I was like, it's as close as I can get to MedFizz. Let me just do it. Safe route. And so long story short, I did not end up getting my co-terminal degree due to 
miscommunication, technicalities. Wow. I don't even want to get into it. Oh, boy. It upsets me to this day. Yeah. That's after you completed the year. I completed all the courses. I passed Mm -hmm. the final comprehensive exam. But so technically, if I had just taken one more class, I could have gotten the degree. But they wouldn't allow me to take it. They wanted me to reapply because my time had come to an end. And I was like, I don't have money to go reapply. I need, just let me, give me an extension. Right. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So graduated with a bachelor's degree in physics. And now looking back on it, I feel like that's what had to happen to give me the kick in the butt that I needed to actually mm-hmm. go pursue it. Med- like medical physics is what you wanted. Go do that. Stop right. settling for this other thing, you know? Yeah. So when I graduated with my bachelor's degree in physics, I needed to find a job. Because uh-huh. um, I, I was still, I had given up on medical physics still. I was like, Uh-oh. okay, I'm going to just stay with my bachelor's and that's it. Yeah. So what so were you still looking for? Anything. <laughs> anything. <laughs> I was looking for anything. I applied Everywhere from banks to occupational health places to, you know, I was just applying everywhere, everywhere. I don't even remember half the places. I, I just, that was my job. Applying to jobs was my yeah. job. That's I just applied and applied and applied. And then I got an email asking me to interview at this place called Washington University in in with and I'm like, wait, what? Washington, but Washington going to say no is what? Not to look this up. I'm like, what job is this? I don't even remember applying to this. And I looked at the job, I looked at the position, and I saw, wait, this is a radiation oncology department. Mm. That's exactly where I would be working as a medical physicist. And I'm like, oh my God, this sounds amazing. So I was like, yes, I want to interview. They flew me to St. Louis. I interviewed, loved it got the job and then I was able to work as the assistant to medical physicists for two years oh wow can you imagine it was I still pinch myself to this day how did I get put in the perfect place yeah that was like serendipity it it had to happen that way it just had to so I ended up working with patients basically I was doing a lot of the stuff that physicists do Mm -hmm. I had to be supervised by them so they had to sign off on my work like I would be working with all of the machines sometimes unsupervised I would just be doing it on my own but then they would just have to sign off and be like yeah I checked this it's good okay and so I got the practice and the introduction that I needed to the world of medical physics and it couldn't have been more perfect than that I enjoyed that so much it reignited the fire in me to pursue medical physics. Yeah. And I will tell you, that's the only reason why I continued on. It's because of that job. Wow. So out of curiosity, did you, you were applying all over the place. Did you have any other options that came up or was that the first interview? You got? Actually, I interviewed at two places mm-hmm. within two weeks of each other. One was okay. in Boston and this one um the one in St. Louis so the one in Boston was at a place that it was kind of medical physics but it was more along the lines of software development for medical physics I don't remember exactly what the company did but I would be working in an office working on software that people would use in labs and stuff so Mm. it was kind of related but not as 
similar. Right. Um, and you know, funny thing, the another major reason why I opted for the one in St. Louis was because the one in Boston was giving me the same salary as the one in St. Louis. And mm-hmm. the cost of living is more than double the price in Boston. Yeah. It was not even comparable at all. The Oof. cost of living in St. Louis is so low compared yeah. to Boston. Boston is on par with New York City. Yeah. Um, so I was like, how do you, how do they expect me to live on this? No. <laughs> so in addition to it being around patients, it was giving me the better salary. So yeah, uh, the stars were yeah. aligning for you. <laughs> yeah. And funny enough, so funny enough, at that time, I was dating my boyfriend from IIT who shall not be named. <laughs> But <laughs> and so during that time when I was um, looking for a job, I was staying with him because he lived in New Jersey. And mm-hmm. so when I had Boston versus St. Louis, of course, I was trying to build a life with this person. Right. So Boston would be the obvious choice because it's a train right away versus St. Louis, which is in the middle of the country. Mm-hmm. Right. A part of me wanted to stay because of that reason. But I was like, this is medical physics. This is what I always wanted. I have to take it. I didn't want to take it, but I just, I just knew I had to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I would never be able to live with myself if I didn't take that job opportunity. And that, me moving away, kind of sped up the breakdown of our relationship. Yeah. But it led to me finding my husband in St. Louis. Look at and that. Girl, I could not have written this better. <laughs> it just happened how it was supposed to happen. I love it. I love it. Keep listening. We'll be right back after a short break. Here on Pathways by Grenadian STEAM, one of our key goals is to help expose students to the various career opportunities that exist for them and to give them the resources they need to explore their own interests and forge a path forward. That's why we're offering current students and members the chance to join one of our podcast episodes to speak directly to someone who's currently working in a field they might be interested in. Searching for a mentor can be hard, and we want to help you get the answers that might just put you on the right track for the next step of your academic or professional career. If you think you or someone you know can benefit from an opportunity like this, send us an email to our team at pathways at grandsteam.org. That's pathways at G-R-E-N-S-T-E-A-M dot O-R-G. Let us know what field you're interested in or who you would like to talk to, and we'll set it up. Listen up for student spotlights like this on our upcoming episodes. And we're right back to the conversation. Okay, you, so you worked there in, at Washington University for how long? For well, two years. And then from there, you decided to go back to get your PhD, was it? Yeah, so... What was the reason for that? While working there, um, so after you, before you get into the medical physics position, you need to complete a residency. It's a two-year residency. Mm -hmm. And so they have a residency at WashU, but in order for me to get into that residency, I had to have either a master's degree in medical physics or a PhD in medical physics. And so I really wanted 
to stay in this job and do I wanted to get into the residency so I could continue on working there. I was like, okay, I need to get my medical physics degree. Let me go do that. And I was advised by some other physicists to get a PhD instead because it would make me more competitive. Plus a PhD pays you versus you having to pay for a master's. True. I was like, okay, I will get a PhD. And then I took the GRE, applied, and got into MD Anderson. And I still can't believe I'm here. Just <laughs> insane. MD Anderson is actually the number one um, MedFizz program in the country. Well, it goes back and forth between us and the University of Wisconsin. But I think we're number one. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. So walk us through the whole like PhD process because I never done it but I'm sure there's a lot so like how do you choose which school to go to how do you choose your advisors how do you figure out your topics all of it so the typical PhD process is not it does not apply to my school so the typical process is you say you want to do a PhD in chemistry you find a few schools that you'd be interested in going to. You look up the chemistry professors at each school and you, you find someone whose research interests align with yours or mm-hmm. if they're doing something that you wouldn't mind doing for the next five years, something you're interested in, then you reach out to that professor. This is all before you even apply. You reach yeah. out to the professor and you talk to them, get to know them, maybe go visit and see if they would be willing to take you on as their student. Because like I said, you don't pay, they pay you. So you have to find someone who likes you, is willing to work with you and who has funding, aka money, to pay you (laughs) for the next five years. Yeah. And then after you get the okay from them, then you can go ahead and apply to the school And you already know before applying, this is who I'll be working with, Professor X, Professor Y, you know? Okay. So that's how typical PhDs go. My school is different um, in that when we apply, before we apply, we don't need to contact anyone. We just need to apply. And if, so they bring a bunch of students to interview. I remember the interview day. They flew us down for this in the hotel, all of that. It was... Mm -hmm the best <laughs> but so they interview a bunch of us then they send out their offer letters if they like you after you accept you come in the first year of your studies the school has enough funding to cover that so okay. oh I should say what school I go to so I attend <laughs> let me get let me get the name right it's so long I attend the MD Anderson UC Health Graduate School of Biomedical Sciences. And it's part of the University of Texas Health, the Health Sciences Division in Houston. And in that school, in at UC Health, we have like the School of Nursing, School of Dentistry, the Medical School, School of Bioinformatics, Public Health, and the Graduate School, which is a collaboration between UC Health and the MD Anderson Cancer Center. So majority of the students at my grad school, we do cancer research. Now, my school is also unique in that we don't have undergraduates. So it's Mm -hmm. just um, PhD and master's students. 
Okay. So when we come in to the school, in our first year, the school has enough funding to cover all the students' um, stipends, which is like our salary, just enough to, so you can buy food, you can pay your rent to live on. It's nothing right. to shout about, but it's great. It keeps us going. Right. So they cover all the student stipends for the first year and our tuition. So we don't have to pay any tuition, any health insurance, any fees, none of that. They pay all of that. And it's just, it's amazing. My school is amazing. Let me just say this. <laughs> so after your first year, so, okay, during your first year, while all of that is being covered by the school, you do what's called tutorials. So you can pick professors that, whose research interests you and you do a three or four month tutorial kind of like a rotation with them in their lab they give you a mini project you work on it you get a feel for what their lab persons are like what their research is like and then you move on to the next and the next so you do three of that in your first year now the end of your first year you pick one of them to serve as your advisor so it's kind of like we interview the professors mm-hmm. and say, oh, I like you. I'll work with you. <laughs> and then from your second year onwards, they take over the payments of your stipend and your tuition, stuff like that. And they become okay. kind of like your boss, essentially. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's different at my school. You don't need to connect with the professor before. And I think that is great because it doesn't lock you into a project that you may not like. You know, you get to test out different projects. Right. And I really, I really appreciate that coming in. And then do you have to you know, just go with whatever your professor is doing or do you select your own subcategory or something? So for the most part, each professor has kind of the area of research that they work on because mm-hmm. a lot of them get funding from the NIH. And when you write a proposal to get funding, you have to lay out in the proposal what you're going to be doing with this funding. So if they write a proposal and say for the next five years, I'll be working on this problem and these are the different steps I will be taking, they can just change it and do whatever they want. Right. They have to kind of stay along the lines of what they said they would use the funding for. And that funding is what pays the students. So we have to also stay in line with what the funding is being used for. So it's essentially the professor has one big project. Let's say he has three students. They each take a piece of the project and make it their own. So okay. you have to kind of stay within the guidelines of what the aims of the project are, but you can put your own touch on it, your own spin on it, make it yours. Mm -hmm. You know, it's because it's your project. So you could mold it the way that you want. Right. But still in keeping with the aims of. So that's why we have that tutorial. So we can pick something we like because you know what you're getting into at that point. I mean. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then do you have to choose your thesis question at that point so at the beginning we we pick a project at the beginning of well at the end of year one beginning of year two Mm -hmm. about that time and at the end of year two we have what's called a candidacy exam so that's I would say by that time you should kind of know what's your thesis topic is 
because okay. then you need to present it at this this candidate candidacy exam is an oral exam mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a mini defense you have to mm-hmm. present your project to five professors and kind of defend your aims and defend why you're doing this why you're doing that what do you expect from this what do you expect from that mm-hmm. so you have to have a working hypothesis and aims and all of that at that point they okay. can change and it's okay if they change afterwards but at that point you kind of have to have um some sort of direction right by, by the end of your second year okay yeah so what have you found to be like the most challenging part of pursuing a phd and in addition to that what what gets you through the stressful times okay so the most challenging part i would say is just how long it is (laughs) (laughs) so it's five years typically i just Mm -hmm. started my fifth year and the thing about it is and the pandemic has not helped so let me just say that Mm -hmm. the thing about it is there are points when you get excited about your project those points are when you get to go to conferences you get to give a talk about your work you get to present it discuss with other people that's exciting because you get to share your research but when you're just going day after day week after week month after month just crunching numbers working with data in the lab it just it just feels monotonous it's not exciting like you kind of tend to lose that drive Mm. when you just keep doing it over and over and over and you kind of lose sight of the big picture sometimes because you're going so far down the rabbit hole just tackling one issue like for the past the whole summer I have been writing python code (laughs) to do something and I didn't know python before Mm. May I did not know python so I had to learn it and then write my code and it's just been debugging and trying to make it work. Why is this not working? I'm Googling, going on forums to see if other people had this issue. And so at that point, you kind of, you're not thinking about the big picture. You're thinking about Python. And yeah. it's just, I'm down the Python rabbit hole and it's not fun. It's not exciting. It's frustrating. So that is what I would say is the hardest. It's how how long and drawn out it is. And you kind of just get lost sometimes. But, and the pandemic has not helped, like I said. I've been working from home since March of 2020 because a lot of my stuff is computational. Sometimes I go in, like I had to go in and take CT scans um, of some materials and I have to go in again later on to take measurements. But Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff is online and it's just you on the computer and nothing else motivates you. (laughs) So on that note, how I stay motivated or how I cope with it mm-hmm. is by living life not mm-hmm. pausing my life and saying oh after I get this PhD then I'll be able to do this then I'll be able to have fun then I'll be able to travel no yeah. I remember <laughs> at the end of my my first semester I just put my head down and I was just in my books in my studies because our first two years we have classes after that it's all research so that first semester I was just like I have to go hard I have to do I have to kill this and I cut off everything I didn't work out I didn't have fun I didn't go out I was just me and the books yeah and second semester I approached it a little differently I made time for fun things and I realized second semester went better 
and feel mm-hmm. like I did better <laughs> when I lived life. I made a point to go to the gym at least three times a week and I did not deviate from that. And mm-hmm. I actually did better. I couldn't understand how I could do better when I'm taking time away from the books to do other right. things. But that just shows you the power of balance. Mm-hmm. You need to have that balance. And so after that second semester and seeing the difference in my results, I was like, you know what? I'm going to live my life during this PhD. I made it a point after that to travel, have fun. I'm in a long distance relationship. So I get to travel back and forth, see my husband. He comes there. Every time we're together, it's like a vacation. I just forget about everything else. And it's like a vacation. So that has kept me like living my life has kept me sane. And knowing that I don't have to wait till I'm done to live. I can live now. Right. Not everybody does that or realizes that. So I didn't do that in undergrad. Mm. (laughs) Until my last year. And the last year was so much fun. (laughs) It was so much fun. Okay. So you're in your final year on the path to that dissertation. Um. What do you see for yourself? Like, what is this all for? What do you see coming down the line in the next three to five years professionally? Um, well, hopefully I can graduate by next summer. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing with the PhDs, it's typically five years, but it's not uncommon to take six. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to take six by any means. But I've already had that talk with my advisor and he said, he's flexible. My advisor is so chill. (laughs) There is no pressure, but I'm putting the pressure on myself. I need to graduate. So after I graduate um, next year, I'm hoping to go to residency, the two-year residency I spoke of. Hopefully we'll be back at the place where I worked. Fingers crossed. That's where I want to go. Um, and after that two-year residency, then I can start working as a full-time physicist. So mm-hmm. in three, one, two, three, in four years, I should be, in three and a half years, I should be a physicist. That's yeah. where I see myself. So in three and a half years, I check back in with you. Yes. <laughs> we'll talk I'll about that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, okay. that's that's the plan. But then longer term, I, I don't know if I see myself working till I'm 65 and then retiring. Mm. I don't want to do that. I want to travel. Travel is what... So I like medical physics, but I wouldn't say that's my passion. You know how some people say, well, this is my passion. That's my yeah. passion. I've never used that word um, when it comes to anything work or career related. Yes, I like that. I enjoy it. It's a Mm -hmm. nice way to pay my bills. But if I had an an unlimited cash flow, you think I'll be in 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 school for five years? (laughs) Please. I would be traveling. Catch me in Europe. Catch me in Africa. Mm -mm. Yeah. I just want to travel. And so hopefully within 10 years, I can figure out a way to make that my full-time job just travel okay I travel blogger maybe eh, I don't know about the blogging part but <laughs> <laughs> just travel <laughs> but I want to travel I that just excites me just going to places that I've never seen seeing the world uh, mm-hmm. I can't wait <laughs> I can't wait well 
I I hope you get there because I'm sure it would be beautiful. Yeah. Um, in the back to the scope of medical physics, though, what mm-hmm. is like the progression, the typical progression for medical physicists, and can you only work in hospitals, or are there other applications? So, majority of medical physicists do work in hospitals. Also, those that are ones who get paid the big bucks, mm. <laughs> those who work, especially in this country, because you know healthcare is expensive. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I've I've paid. I'm sure I've paid some medical physicists, and I'm just like, why? Why do you need all this money? <laughs> I know, right? And I thought of I thought about that. I was conflicted. I'm like, do I really want to do this and get paid mm. so much when I know it's coming from? the patients or the insurance companies. Well, the insurance companies, I don't feel too bad about. <laughs> but it's just, healthcare in this country needs an overhaul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's not my fight. Side story. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of medical physicists work in hospitals. Um, some, I think there are consultant companies where they consult with, because not every hospital is big enough to have a team of medical physicists. Right. So some of them just hire medical physicists as needed. Um, some do research. I know some some of my professors focus mainly on research. So they're like 80% research, maybe 20% in the clinic. So that's another route you can take. You could be a professor at a school, have a lab, and just keep doing research. Um, aside from that, I guess since that's what I've been focusing on, I haven't really given it much thought. What else is there? But as far as working in a hospital, so I know medical physics is not popular. So let me just give a little more Mm -hmm. background on that for anyone who's interested. So as far as working in a hospital, you could either work in a cancer center um, where we irradiate patients. Irradiate meaning we use photons, electrons, protons to kill cancer cells within a patient's body. That's just the big picture of it. Um, So you could work on that side, which is, that's the therapy side, or you could work with MRI, PET scans, CT scans, x-rays, and that's more of the diagnostic imaging side of it. So okay. these medical physicists not only um, work with cancer patients because many people need x-rays, like you break your fracture, your, bro- your bone, you need an x-ray, mm-hmm. um, head trauma, you need an x-ray or an MRI, sorry. So those are the main two branches of medical physics within a hospital or clinic. Okay. Um, I would say majority of physicists fall into one of those brackets okay I can think I hope I'm not missing something (laughs) obvious (laughs) but yeah we'll take that as gospel thank you (laughs) (laughs) okay so in in all of this and I'm I'm really glad we got to talk through it because it seemed like there are a lot of things that you learned along the way um that Mm -hmm. would have been helpful to know but of course hindsight is 2020 yeah but what is a piece of advice that you wish somebody had given you at a younger age? So I'll let you pick your age, either 15, (laughs) let's say 15, 20, or 25, anywhere around there. I'll give two. I'll give two ages. Because two different pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. So at 15, 
that's when I was just coming out of secondary school, right? 15, 16. So what I wish someone told me at 15 was it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to accept help. Stop trying to do everything on your own because I think I had this mentality that if I didn't do it all on my own, then I couldn't take credit for it or it's not mine or I wasn't worthy of the praise that came with it, you know, because I had help. But there's nothing wrong with with help. Life is a team sport and you need to you need to accept help from people and ask for help. Stop suffering in silence, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that I I would do back in the day. I don't I still do it a little now, but not as much. <laughs> I would sit with a problem and spend hours and hours and hours trying to figure it out instead of just asking someone, hey, do you know how to do this? Yeah. Someone's probably already done it before. So stop suffering in silence thinking, well, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out you wasting precious time when you could just ask for help. People would be happy to help you. Just ask for help, girl. That's what I would tell 15-year-old me. (laughs) (laughs) Ask for help. (laughs) And then fast forward 10 years, 25-year-old me. Mm -hmm. So I was in college at that time. I would tell 25-year-old me, buy bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) buy bitcoin oh my god (laughs) buy bitcoin i would shake myself and say girl buy bitcoin stop buying clothes buy bitcoin (laughs) are you in on it so wait two questions with that were you investing at all back then and are you buying bitcoin now (laughs) so back then i didn't even know I did not start investing until 2018. In 2018, mm-hmm. I bought one share of GoPro, which was like $5 and some cents. Mm-hmm. And I had to think to buy it. I, it took me a while to put my money into that. Yeah. And then I sat on that for two years. <laughs> I kept looking at it. It kept going down. And I'm like, see, I'm wasting my money. I wasted my money. My, my whole $7, I wasted my money. <laughs> I was so mad. And then when COVID hit and the markets crashed, mm-hmm. I had time. We all had time. And so that's when I started getting into the stock market. That's when I started buying stuff. And I bought some crypto as well. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing to shout about, but I'm getting there. <laughs> okay. That's a big one. And like side, side story, but invest, invest, invest to mm-hmm. anyone out there. I'm honestly just starting to like look at stocks and figure out how it works because I've been like I have small investments and so on from my 401ks from work and all of that but like I'm just starting to look at it for myself yeah why not do it like if you can do it why not do it and you have nothing to lose like yeah it can crash tomorrow but for the long haul it would always go up at least so far And I think us doing it at a young age is even more beneficial because we can always bounce back from that. Let's say it crashes and we lose everything that we have invested. I mean, you Mm -hmm. should invest all your money. You should keep some out. But let's (laughs) say we lose everything. You can still work. You can, you're young, you're strong, you'll recover. In the next 20 years, you won't even be thinking about that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that all young people should look into. We didn't get any of that education in school, you know? Yeah, no. I didn't. I don't know if other people got it, but I didn't. Maybe economics class. <laughs> oh. But 
actually yeah um a friend of mine told me they did that they were like fake trading in class and I'm like what mm. I didn't even know that was a thing I was just yeah. doing physics you know <laughs> but yeah. that's another thing maybe that you know it's good to diversify while you're in school and do mm-hmm. some side courses that is true that's true maybe that's yeah. something else I would have done differently yeah taking something taking well actually I did take a bunch of side courses I enjoyed those okay those yeah. nice well, Shabaka, it's been great catching up and talking to you. So yeah. thank you again for joining us. Cool. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I feel like a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> and for anybody out there who might be listening and like, you know, damn, I want to be just like her. <laughs> what is a good place for them to reach out and talk to you? Okay. If anybody has questions about um, grad school, medical physics, even coming to college in the U.S., you can reach me at sherby100, S-H-E-R-B-Y, 100 at gmail.com. Um, okay. I'm also on Instagram, sherby100. You can send me a message there. Um, I, I do want to kind of promote medical physics in the Caribbean. Yeah. Until July of this year, I didn't know any other caribbean person who was studying medical physics then at this virtual conference we had i met a bajan guy Mm -hmm. who is in a phd program in canada and then i met a saint lucian girl can you imagine i was freaking out for hours (laughs) i met her on twitter of all things we have this academic twitter um medical Mm -hmm. physics thing and she likes one of my tweets and i saw a saint lucian flag in her bio i'm like what what and then we connected she's studying in florida in the PhD program as well okay so i think we need more medical physicists from the caribbean so if Mm -hmm. you have any questions people let me know i'll be happy to talk about medphys and it's a very lucrative career look up the salaries you won't be you won't be um sorry (laughs) so okay it's definitely a way to go if you like physics you like medicine well, yeah. best of luck on the rest of your journey. Thank you, Arlene. <laughs> and to the listeners, thank you for joining us on today's Pathway. 